Good morning, friends. Last week, I shared with you that we were going to be making our way into a new series for a short period of time. We're setting Romans aside for a little bit while we spend some time thinking together about topics that are maybe uh, more pressingly relevant to uh, the cir circumstances that we're currently facing. And so I want to begin today a new series with you called Living With living with and want to acknowledge right up front that we are living with uh, fear and uncertainty. Uh, we don't know what comes next. We don't know when we get to gather together again to be in worship. Uh, there are just so many things that we don't know. We're living with anger. Uh, we're living with grief. Uh, not only do we live with the grief of losing sort of the normal daily uh, things that are part of our life. Uh, I know my kids in some ways are grieving uh, the loss of uh, school years and uh, people are uh, grieving uh, the loss of uh, certain freedoms and, and opportunities and uh, travel and vacations and all of those things. And, and, and grief is a part of what we're living with right now. But in a very uh, personal and very specific and acute way, um, uh, as a church family, Today, we're living with grief with the Linton family. Uh, you may have uh, seen the email, the notification that uh, uh, Beth Linton passed away suddenly and unexpectedly uh, today. And uh, so um, um, we just grieve um, that loss and um, uh, we want to uh, remember the Lintons in our prayers uh, today. We're living with each other in um, sometimes extraordinary ways. We're living closely with family members. And uh, if managing the stress of family life um, often required you to be able to spend time apart or depended on you being able to go off to work or send the kids off to school, the, uh, the intensified stress of always being together in close proximity uh, can be challenging. Uh, we're living with computer screens. Uh, we're living with Zoom calls and accelerated uh, invitations to participate in social media. Uh, we're living with uh, financial loss. Uh, we're wondering what's happening to uh, um, college funds and retirement savings and jobs. Uh, we are, in short, living with a global pandemic. And we're also invited to live with joy. Uh, we're invited to live with love, to live with wisdom, to live with gratitude, to live with generosity, uh, to live with hope. And all of that's possible because we are invited to live uh, with Jesus and to know that Jesus lives with us. And so this morning, I want to uh, begin our Living With series by uh, looking at the Bible's invitation to us to live with gratitude. So listen to these verses, first of all, from Ephesians chapter 5, and then just a couple of verses, uh, parallel verses, from Paul's letter to the Colossians. So this is Ephesians 5, uh, beginning at verse um, 18. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Then you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself, uh, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And you will always give thanks for everything 
to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, as I said, the parallel passage is found in Colossians chapter 3, and this is at verse 16. Let the words of Christ in all of their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. And then this, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus. All the while, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy inspired word. And so hear that invitation. Really, it's a, it's a command to be grateful, be thankful. And particularly, this uh, sense of being uh, of gratitude is rooted and expressed in singing. Uh, this uh, past couple of weeks, I've had some time to do some of my own thinking and writing in ways that I've been wanting to get to. And um, one of the things I've been writing about are things that we've been learning from growing up with our son, Ben. As you uh, know, we adopted Ben from the uh, uh, Michigan foster care system um, back when he was about 10. And uh, his life prior to joining our family was a little bit challenging. And watching uh, Ben face those challenges has um, been um, not only challenging for us, but it's also uh, been a place uh, of great learning and, um, and great encouragement for us in wondering how we can face challenges ourselves. And so uh, I want you to know right up front, Ben has read these pages. Um, ben is happy to have me, sh eagerly happy to have me share some of his story. And so um, um, thinking about Paul's invitation to sing, um, let me just read you a few uh, pages um, about Ben's story. My son sings. Uh, standing in the hallway next to the thin and hollow bathroom door, we could all hear his pitchy pre-adolescent voice soaring over the sounds of the running water, rolling through the whole house like we were in a concert hall. And I thought, my goodness, he sings. What in the world does he have to sing about? The impromptu performance punctuated the reality of Ben's physical presence in our home. And as he continued to belt out random, joyful measures from various show tunes, worship songs, patriotic numbers, and pop hits, the choices and circumstances and tragedies of his life that had brought him to this moment, standing in our shower, singing his mashup for people who up until recently were just random strangers, calling this place with its thin doors suddenly his home, and us, improbably, his family. Those choices and circumstances and tragedies that brought us all to this moment now seem to join in, singing their own song, adding a counter melody, discordant and jarring and melancholy. Channeling his inner Katy Perry, he sings, Baby, you're a firework. Come on, show them what you're worth. Make him go, oh, oh, oh as you shoot across the sky, I, I. And I find myself wondering again about his first years of life. So much unknown. But the known parts are enough to make me never want to sing again. Ben lived with his teenaged birth mother and her parents for the first two years of his life. 
never met his biological father, and was surrounded by illegal drug use, pornography playing on the family living room television, and chaotic, angry relationships. Official records tell us that when Ben was removed from his birth home, it was because of abuse and neglect, and that it is likely he suffered from fetal alcohol syndrome. When Ben first entered foster care at the age of two, he would not make eye contact with someone who talked to him, and he himself didn't talk. His movements were described as stiff. His emotions were flat. He came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the sky, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Now mixes with the sound of the running shower, and in my mind, I visit the foster home that adopted him when he was three years old. Ben was adopted by the foster family that originally took him in when he was two, the same family that had previously fostered his birth mother for a time before she ultimately returned to her own biological parents. This connection isn't random. We believe that Ben's birth mother had a hand in bringing him to his foster adoptive home. Her own experience with the family, leading her to believe that it offered Ben the best chance to escape the daily traumas of life with his birth family. In the bleak score of this song, a note of gratitude, I am thankful for her courage and for the expression of love as she gave him up. My son's memories of the five years he spent with this adoptive family are fuzzy and disjointed, but gut-wrenching. If you ask him to describe this time in his life, he sketches images of being forced to sleep in a cardboard box or in a bathtub or on the cold basement floor because of bedwetting. He remembers his head being smashed against the toilet for the same offense. There were times when food was withheld for extended periods and he was locked in his room. Asking others about this time, you may also hear stories of sexual abuse and humiliation. Professionals who have worked with Ben believe that during these early years of life, he was both the recipient and instigator of sexual contact with his biological brother, who was also adopted by this family. Ben is not a reliable source for details to be sure, but the reality is his adoption was ultimately terminated and he found himself once again in the world of foster care. Now with an exaggerated vibrato, oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. And my reflections are brought to a long season of serial foster placements, eight of them, initially with his brother and then just Ben. On his own now, Ben found himself placed in a foster care center we refer to as That Place. It was operated by That Man. He used a sword as a walking stick, and Ben shared a room with two other boys. There was more than one room of boys. And the children, who, and the children under his care who filled those rooms were captives, playthings. Eventually, that man was convicted for his crimes and he will be incarcerated for the rest of his days, but not before leaving his own grotesque mark on Ben's psyche, deepening wounds, sharpening Ben's fears, compounding Ben's feelings of worthlessness. One foster worker asked us to imagine a piece of Velcro. Initially, the two pieces stick together, but rip them apart over and over again, too many times, more times than 
Velcro is designed to endure and the stickiness will be lost. How many times can Ben endure being pulled away from families that are supposed to care for him? How many relationships can a child lose before he no longer attaches to anyone? What number of betrayals is one too many? After that place, Ben went on to other places. And the evidence of emotional and social and academic impairment began to mount. By the time our family discovered Ben, the list of challenges that he faced was daunting. And he came with a warning label. And my son sings. So why does he sing? Maybe uh, it's just simply self-soothing. Maybe um, he just enjoys the sound of his own voice. Maybe at just a very basic level of happiness, he's thankful that he has good food and a safe home and a hot shower. Sometimes we joke with him that he truly won the foster lottery. But, uh, but I think there's something more in his singing. I think it's the singing that Paul is talking about here. It's singing as a way of choosing to see the world. You see, sometimes in the Bible we find places where people express gratitude for blessings that they've been given. And when God does something for you, you say thank you. When God is good to you, you respond with gratitude. And that's very appropriate to do. But it isn't sufficient. Uh, more often in the Bible, I think it's the other way around. I first express gratitude and then I begin to see more clearly the good blessings that surround me. In, in other words, it's not blessing and then sing, but it's sing and then I see the blessings. Think about the Hebrews in the wilderness as they marched and sang and worshipped around and around and around the city of Jericho before the walls fell down. Uh, think about the Psalms where the choir declares God's faithfulness before the moment of deliverance. Think about Daniel praying to God in exile, in the lion's den, while the doors were still sealed. Uh, Paul and Silas come to mind. Think of Paul and Silas worshiping God with songs of praise before their prison cell doors pop open. And then Jesus, Jesus gives thanks. In this worship service, you are going to be invited to participate in communion or the Lord's Supper. The sacrament is also called the Eucharist. And the word Eucharist is really a transliteration from a Greek word, Eucharistia, and it just simply means thanksgiving. And it comes from the verses that describe Jesus' institution of this meal. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, he Eucharistied, and then he broke it. Uh, the thanks comes before the breaking. So what did Jesus have to give thanks for? Uh, on this very night, he was about to be betrayed. Soon he would be abandoned. Soon he would be arrested. He would be convicted on trumped up charges. He would be tortured. He would be executed in a humiliating misery. And he stops and he give thanks, gives thanks before the breaking that is still to come. How does he do that? Here's what I think is the answer. His thanks is found in his deep connection, in his deep relationship with his Father. 
And that's exactly what Paul says in our texts today. In Ephesians, he describes being filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, he says, let Christ's words dwell in you richly. It's a picture, uh, an image of intimacy, of, of deep relationship with the Father. And it's out of that deep, intimate relationship with the Father that our thanksgiving flows. And so here's what I want us to see today. I want us to see that life with God will help me to learn to be grateful for imperfect people and for imperfect circumstances. So our job, in other words, is not to try to feel grateful, to try to work up some sense of, of gratitude, as many people do. No, instead, our gratitude is the byproduct. It's, it's the natural outpouring of a spiritual reality. And so as we train ourselves to live in this reality, our job is to place our minds in the presence of God, uh, to invite God's presence into our hearts and to surrender our will to that good God. And when we do that, when we practice that, then we remember and we pray, God, I know that you are right here and we don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. Thank you, God that we get to be alive. Thank you that we have bodies. Thank you for this world. Thank you for Jesus. And so that's why Paul can say uh, in both uh, Ephesians and Colossians, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks all of the time. He knows that if I wait for perfect people and for perfect circumstances to be grateful, I'll have to wait a long time. The ancient rabbi sometimes talked about this, and one rabbi uh, said, one is obligated to say a benediction over evil as well as a benediction over good. And that can, be, that can seem jarring and even wrong. We say, well, why would you do that? Is it because evil is a good thing? Or is the suffering is a good thing? Or loss is something to celebrate? And no, of course not. Those are all bad things. And God is at work to one day overcome them and overturn them. But the rabbi said that one is obligated to say a, a benediction, to say a word of, of, of thanks at all times, uh, because we're always in danger of being thankful only when good things come our way. And when we do that, our threshold for gratitude gets higher and higher, and soon we become ungrateful people. Being transformed by God means learning to see ways in which God is at work, even in bad situations. Uh, for I know that in all things, this Bible says, uh, God is at work for good. Uh, the rabbi went on to say, only God knows for sure what will turn out to produce good. A lot of times I'll go through something hard or something painful or something bad, and I'll wish that I didn't have to go through it. And then I'll look back and I'll say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. I'm so grateful that I didn't miss that. And so Paul says, we bless God all of the time. We give thanks to God in all circumstances that this is God's will. And if it's God's will, if it's God's intention, then the grateful life, this is what we have to understand, that the grateful life with God is the best opportunity ever offered to the human race. In other words, it's, it's intended to be a, a good blessing to learn to be thankful. And so finally, we owe our ultimate gratitude for God's ultimate gift. I was reminded this week of the book of Common Prayer where the prayer says, Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, do give you most humble and hearty thanks. We bless you for, your, for our creation, for our preservation, for all of the blessings of this life, but above all, for your inestimable love 
in the redemption of our world by our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, we're glad for our friends and for our house and our cars, for our money, for success when it comes our way, for jobs if we have them. Uh, but their absence doesn't prevent us from being grateful for God's greatest gift. So above all, followers of Jesus, in, in times of plenty and in times of need, whether you're in a palace or in a prison, um, thank God right, for this gift of Jesus, um, his teachings, his presence, his death, and most urgently, his resurrection. So don't stop singing. Don't stop giving thanks. Live today with gratitude. Amen.